The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Got a, got a bunch of good news for you. Ready for that? I mean, just a bunch of good news. I'm excited to, to share the good news with you this morning. Uh, this, this is, uh, this is the, the good gospel that God wants to refresh our hearts with, to liberate us. You know, Christ came to set us free, to liberate us from the bondage of slavery, sin, and selfishness. And, uh, and, and ultimately, why Christ came was so that he could purchase us back. He could purchase us back to himself so that we could walk in the light as he is in the light. We see that light is synonymous with life, and that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the source of light and life, and he wants us to have rich, intimate fellowship with him so that we experience the joy and the freedom and the hope that comes from his presence alone. So Jesus, the light of the world came like intentionally, like it wasn't a, it wasn't a response to a fall. It was a blueprint that had been established before the foundations of the earth. Jesus, Jesus purposed, <laughs> purposed to come and die in your place. He knew that that was what was required. That was the only thing that would satisfy the wrath, the perfect justice of God. And so light, true light, the light that has no darkness, at all came into darkness, into death, into our broken circumstances. The wages of sin is death, and that was the consequence. That was the only path that humanity could walk. And Jesus came to be the gate, the door, and the way. Aren't you thankful? He came to open up the, the floodgates of heaven. He, he left the wonder of heaven. This is the true definition of humility. He left heaven and entered into our muck, our mess, our brokenness, our darkness. Light came into darkness. Life came into death. And he died in our place so that we might live. This is the good news. And if he didn't die, we wouldn't live. He had to die so that we could live. And, uh, and he didn't do that with any resistance. His posture was he raced to the opportunity to ransom, rescue, and purchase you back to himself. And you know what motivated all of that? Here's the good news this morning, guys. God loves you. God radically, unconditionally loves you. And at the same time, God hates sin. Hates it. And the problem that we have is we don't share we don't share God's love for him or for others, and we don't share his hatred for sin. And we need, to, we need to have God's perspective and God's heart about both of those things. And the only way that that's possible for us to, to fall under conviction of the darkness and the death that is the condition of, of humanity is that we've got to walk into his presence. And God knew that. We had, to, we had to get into his presence. But there's a problem. God can't abide with sin. God is holy, holy, holy. God is, God, sin and God don't mix to the, to the nth degree. And so God had to deal with our sin, the debt that, that separated us. Because that's what, guys, that's what sin does. Sin separates. 
It separates us from God and it separates us from one another. And so it causes this, this, this isolation in our life, this brokenness, this death and separation. And God came to be, Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to rescue you from your death and brokenness, from your darkness. And so the light of the world came into our broken darkness and it says, and it says that we did not understand it. If anything, we rejected it. You know why? Because when light exposes our, our darkness, we can do one of two things. We can agree with what's been exposed and, uh, and confess and repent, or we can try to extinguish the light. And that's exactly what humanity did. Humanity just rejected the sun, rejected the light, rejected the love that God... I mean, because it says this in, in, in Romans 5, 8, it says, it says, for God demonstrated his very own love for us in this. And while we were yet in darkness, while we were yet in death, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were redeemable, not when there was any worthy content to our life, not when there was something admirable or praiseworthy or, or, or even, even reconcilable, like in our broken, totally broken state. God in his love ran to rescue us and the motivating factor was that he loves, loves you, loves you. No greater love than this. And a man laid down his life for his friends and he called his disciple friend. And so God has remedied our, our, our massive uh, circumstance that is defiant to him in its darkness and death. And now because Jesus has paid the price, not in part, but in whole, not, not temporarily, but eternally, it's paid in full. It's complete. Because Jesus did that, we can literally walk into the presence of God. Isn't it interesting that at the crucifixion, when Jesus says, you know, I, I, he puts his spirit into the Father's hands, he gives up his life, he said it is finished, and in that moment it says the curtain, this, this, this dark, I mean, this, this separating factor between the holiness of God and the brokenness of humanity that the high priest, Lord Jesus Christ, it says it was torn from top to bottom and now he has made a way for us to be in his presence. He, is, he has sanctified our sin. He has paid the price so that we now, it says in, 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 in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 21, that now we are the righteous. He who had no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Like, do we realize that we stand in the resume of Christ now if we believe and receive the gift of the cross, if we acknowledge our sin, our brokenness, our, our deep desire and need of his sanctifying or, or saving work, and then we are, we are invited in to community with God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that's where life is. That's where hope resides that's where, that's where comfort lives. Does that make sense? Like, and, and what God wants us to do is he wants us to remain in his presence. Because as we remain in his presence, like we, we naturally reflect his love. If you abide in me and in my word, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus made a way for us to not be apart from him so that we could be in his presence. 
And when we don't choose to walk in the light as he is in the light, we're choosing our darkness. We're choosing our rebellion over his, his, his grace, his love, his gift. God wants us to live in his presence. God has made it possible. And I think sometimes we diminish the, 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 the magnitude of the, of the work of redemption, like the work of the cross. Like it, it takes us from death to life, from, from darkness to light. Like it, it takes us from being totally separated from God to being intimately in his presence. This is what Jesus did for us. And now all the, the wonder of life, the abundant life in all of its attributes and characteristics are found in just staying close to him. And he's made it possible for us to do that. And how we do that is by, by staying close to his word, by, by obeying his commandments, by honoring his word, not out of, not out of necessity or obligation or out of a, a, a works mentality, but out of just radical devotion in light of what he's done for us. It's a response to the, to the love. I mean, it's hard to even comprehend that, that someone would die in your place when you were their absolute enemy, when you were living in such re- rebellion and rejection of them, and that person is, just, is not just anyone, but it's God himself. And he didn't even, he didn't, the father didn't do it. Like, it, more painful, he, did, he, he sent his son and put it all upon his shoulders. The weight, have you ever walked, have you ever, you ever experienced the weight of your sin? Just that one sin? And the darkness and the pain, the guilt and shame that is associated with that, man, he felt it all. He became the one that took and the pain, the suffering, the sacrifice, the separation for us so that we could be reconciled. And not only that, then we get to be ministers. We get to join him in the ministry of reconciliation. This is, this is our God. This is our glorious God that we can't get our minds and hearts around, that, that loves us to an extent that it's hard to, to fathom, but yet somehow with the help of the Holy Spirit, we believe. And because of that, we receive this, this life and hope and joy and comfort that sustains us and strengthens us. And then we become a reflection of that to others. Man, I'm all lit up about being in First John. I'm so excited about what God has for us here. So excited. So turn with me to uh, 1 John. Uh, fortunately, the first chapter is only 10 verses. Um, so we're going to, um, Trevor's done a phenomenal job of, of, of opening that up for us and, and uh, helping us to, to, to see what, you know, the Holy Spirit was saying here through, through John. Uh, let's understand that John is probably 75 to 85 years old at this point, And he was the youngest disciple, many, many you know, arguably 20 years old when he fought, when, you know, early 20s when he was following Christ. And now in his later days, he is, he is a part of the apostolic ministry, the apostles that were sent. That's what that word a- a- apostle means, one that was sent, unique in their expression. And, and, uh, and here we see him using constantly the words, we, us, our, we, us, our. I mean, there's this, you know, could you imagine like if you were chosen by God to be his disciple? And, the word, and, and to understand disciple, like disciple means that you're going you're gonna to do what they do. You're going to train you're a learner for the purpose of doing what they're doing. And so like by, by God's ordination, he climbed, Jesus climbs a mountain and says, who, God, who? Which ones? And God gives him 12 men. I'm sure they were as surprised as everybody around them. And you, me, what? But like, look at the heart in this passage, how John is like, 
Look, we touched, saw, heard him. Like the God of the universe, wrapped up in skin, Emmanuel, right here with us, was telling us the message of hope and good news. That God is light and he wants you to join him in it. He wants to make a way for you to be brought back. And, uh, and he's basically saying, we saw him, we touched him, we experienced his, his love and ministry, and we want you to as well. And we're inviting you in. As we were invited into communion, fellowship with the Father and the Son, now because of Jesus, you too can experience not only fellowship with us, but more importantly, with the Father and his son, like we're talking about intimate, rich community. This is what God wants. God wants to have an intimate, rich, life-giving relationship with you. How humbling is that? And, and in order to make that possible, he died in your place. He died in your place. And when we experience that together, you know what happens? We experience rich, intimate community. We experience fellowship that can't be experienced in the context of life through relationships to any degree. I mean, think about how significant it is for two people to experience that kind of fellowship in marriage and why the the scripture says, don't be unequally yoked. I mean, these aren't preventative statements. These are are meant to protect and to, to woo and call you into God's promise and God's ultimate ideal and the abundant life he has for you. Hopefully by now you're at 1 John. <laughs> All right, so uh, 1 John is uh, in the back of the New Testament, um, right before you get to Revelation. By the way, the author of this, these three letters and Revelation, same guy. Um, and uh, and he, uh, he is all about, what's John all about? Jesus being God's son and love. Love. You know, in the gospel, he says, the one in whom Jesus loved. And that's not an arrogant statement. That's a statement of fact for him. He knew he was loved by Jesus. He was convinced of God's love for him. You know what that does for you when you are emphatically convinced that God loves you and that the demonstration of the cross declares it, can, like confirms it, and that God is on the throne, that he always does what's perfect, and he loves you. Question, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Because if you trust him, that road's going to be hard. Let me just tell you, that's what Jesus says. That road will be hard and it'll be narrow, but it'll be abundant. It'll be an inside-out, glorious experience that builds you up into the man or woman of God, the design and desire that God had for you before you were formed and fashioned in your mother's womb. This is God's hope for you. And it's only found in the presence of God, and that's what Jesus purchased us back to, is his glorious presence. And so now we get to do life with God. Hello. Like, what? We get to do life with God? Like, what is, that's craziness. Like the one that authored, created, took dirt and made it into something that resembles his image. And I get to have not just some kind of fellow, I get to have intimate fellowship with him. And he's the one, I didn't even want it. And he did it for me. And now that he's done it for me, I don't want anything else. And he's the source of life. He's the source of hope. And so it says this. And we, and we get this. I'm going to read the first four verses. Listen to what this says. John, 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning. Who's he talking about? 
Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard firsthand, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, we, we, we've touched him with our own hands concerning, don't miss this, the word of life. The word became flesh and dwelt among us like God's word realized in perfection, his son. God, oh, the word of life. Verse two, the life was made manifest, revealed, shown to us like life himself, like life embodied in skin, like God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Life was made manifest. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. We have seen it. You know, like, what is, what is John doing here? What is he doing here? He's witnessing. He's, he's doing what the Spirit of God was put in us to do, to testify to, like, is there anything more worthy of talking about than Jesus? I mean, when we think about what God has done for us in Christ, I mean, is there anything more exciting to talk about than what God is doing and what he's up to? And what he's, what he's capable of. And so he is testifying. Revelation says, another part of John's you know, writings says that we overcome, chapter 12, we overcome by the what? The blood of the lamb, first and foremost, and the word of our testimony. Right? I mean, like, when we know what God has done for us in Christ, what else is there to talk about? What else? So the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life. This isn't just some earthly broken paradigm of temporal life. This is life eternal. I have come. Jesus declared his intention in John 10.10. 10. He says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full or, or um, abundantly, which was with the Father. So we're, what was with the Father? eternal life and was made manifest to us. The Son, the Father, you know, Jesus said this way, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like Hebrews 1 tells us, he's the exact imprint of the Father. Like, so life is found in, in God, both Father, Son, and Spirit. Was made manifest to us, which, was, which we have seen and heard. We proclaim, like life in skin. He's saying, I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. And now I'm going to tell you what he said. Doesn't that kind of like get you a little bit attentive? You know, like, oh, I want to hear this. Um, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. And then always pay attention to so that. So that. So in other words, this is why. So that you too may have fellowship with, what does it say? Us. See, what we have to understand is, he is and he goes on to say, this is, this is what will complete my joy if you get to come into this party if you get to come into this celebration guys you know what kills me it's so often witnessing uh, when, when when it's done is this uncomfortable awkward like oh this is going to be a rough experience man you know what we're doing we're inviting people to the eternal party with god like that's what we're doing we're inviting people into life we're in we're inviting people into the hope of eternity so that we can we can live selflessly and give ourselves away to something that really matters in eternity. And, and, and that's what he's talking about. 
that which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you again so that our joy may be complete. Guys, we're a church. It's not an address or a building. You're the church, right? We together, the more we, we live in intimate unity together, which is Jesus' prayer in John 17, the more the church expresses itself as a as a accurate demonstration of who Christ is, right? We can't do this alone. We do it together. And you can't obey, and we're going to talk about this, you can't obey the word. You can't obey the word, right? And, and, uh, and not love one another, right? I mean, like, and how do you do that? How are we going to love one another, especially the household of faith, if we're not together? You know, I, I, th- I marvel at this. We can, uh, we, you know, we, we'll never miss work. Mm-mm. We won't let our kids miss school. Can't miss soccer practice. Oh, but Sunday morning, I'm tired. Okay, we need, we need our rest. Guys, you know where, you know where rest comes from? Jesus. He, we got a, we got a whole book written about it, right? And some people say that God loves coffee, but Hebrews. No, Hebrews is about rest. Like seriously, it's about, that's what, God is saying, enter my son, and my son is the door, the way, the gate to ultimate Sabbath rest. And guys, we don't find rest on vacation. We don't find rest in our beds. Man, those things are necessary to the body, but Jesus is necessary to the soul. And that's core to us. Necessary. So, so here John is saying, like, you know what would make my life complete? You know what would make me over the moon for joy? Is if you would come to know him. If you would come and join us. Man, the church is not exclusive. It's not, it's not, the doors aren't closed, they're open. I mean, no one's going to hell because God says, that's what I want for you. God, God says that none should perish. People are going to hell because they reject life. And, and crave their dark, unexposed death experience. We're born that way. We're born in our trespasses and sin. Death is our condition, and we're desperate for life. And Jesus says, I, I, he doesn't say I have it. He says, I'm it. I'm it. Come. And the scriptures declare that we, we're, not, we're not, when it describes our relationship with him, we don't give him like, we don't give him our heart. You know, the good news is he gives us his. We don't give him our life. You know, the good news is, tell me, he gives us his. And that's why the scripture speaks of we are in him. We are in our lives are now hidden in Christ with God, Colossians says. And so, man, you know, so why else would John not say, man, you, you, you want to shoot me over the moon for joy? Come into the fold. This is what this is what defines my life. This I mean like what 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 really gets you going in life? What what really if this happened I if I won the lottery I'd be you know like I mean for John he's saying man if you would walk out of your darkness you know walk out of your deception thinking that you're a believer but your life doesn't have any reflection of him man that would that would cause me great joy. And you know Jesus said for the joy like that my joy may be in you and your joy complete. Jesus has given joy away. 
Again, he's the source. Verse 5, 5 to 10 goes on to say, this is the message we have heard from who? Who's him? Jesus. First-hand information here. This is what God is saying. This is what he's proclaiming. And proclaim to you. So I am just a herald of the message that has, been, that has, that has changed my life. That is, and I'm just reflecting this message. Do you know that, that and, and it's such a great illustration, creation always has aspects that are meant for us to kind of depict de- de- the creator. Like we see the creator in creation, right? And, uh, and one of the things that's just so interesting, you notice that when the moon gives the, its, its full focus to the sun, what does the earth get? Light, right? I mean, it gets lit up. For some reason, my, when it's full moon, my cat's got to be outside. I don't know what that is, but like, but but I don't even know why I said that. But but here's the thing: like, like, what God needs from us is uh, He needs our full attention. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, the world gets lit up when the moon gets gives the, gives gives full attention to the sun. And when we give full attention to the sun, it's a natural byproduct for that light to shine around us. And so he wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. He wants us to not just wander into his presence, abide there, remain there, stay there. And, and what that requires is our, our minds and hearts need to stay there. And we're so prone to distractions. We're so prone to idolatry. I mean, we're so prone to loving something more than we love him and giving our resources and time and affections to it. And God says, love me with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul and love your neighbors yourself. And you can't do the second without the first. And that's really the royal law. That's, that's it. You want to do it all? Love me with your totally, without exception, and you will become fully engaged and you will, you will then, as a natural byproduct, you will reflect me. It's an overflow. It's not, you know, we don't work at sharing. It's, we, we just, we, let me say it this way. With my relationship with my wife, listen, the reason that I don't go out dating other women is, <laughs> honey, I'm so glad you're here today. So like, so the reason I don't is because because look, ultimately, it's not that it's wrong. It's not that it's, it, it would devastate the one I love. It would crush her. I, I can't even, I can't, the thought of it. It's not because that's not the right thing to do. It's a, it, it's a, it's a law. It's because the one who gave his life for me, this is what it means to follow him. This is what it means. He says, if you obey, you obey my commandments, then, then this is how you love me. What parent doesn't feel loved when their children do what they say because what they're saying is for, for love, for them? I mean, why does God tell us to do these things? And he says, follow me in it and you will walk in the light. That's what it means to walk in the light. I get wrapped up in all this. So, so the, reason, the reason that I don't date, hello, is that I love my wife, right? The reason that I don't choose to do things that would hurt her because I love her. And when we love him, we don't do these things out of duty, obligation, or requirement. We do them because we love him. And it's what our heart is commissioned to. It's what we desire. And guys, as we walk in the light, we, we actually want to do that. But when we, when we wander off into the darkness, 
And what I mean by that is when we wander into our own selfish choices and decisions, when we, when we wander into things that we know that God's word would not have us to do, it, you know, the light is diminished and then we can easily rationalize and justify the sin we're in. Because when we walk into the light, it's exposed. Right? John 3, 17. And, and, and moving on in that, in that passage. Like, and, and so as we stay in the light... Like, that's what continues to keep us in a mode of confession and repentance. It continues to nurture my heart with an attitude and a desire for radical obedience that's not motivated out of obligation, but out of just love and devotion. I I hope you have a quiet time. And what I mean by that, some people call it a tag time, time alone with God. But I, I hope you have a time during the day. You know, Scripture says morning's a good idea because you need to get your marching orders. You need to you need to have you know it might not even be for you. It might be for someone else. Whatever. But but time in His Word and time in prayer is so incredibly essential. But if we just can, sometimes we can get caught in a rut where we're doing that out of just discipline or obligation or it's a checklist item. And and what really should motivate our devotion is devotion. Right? Our time. And so what I encourage you to do, if that's ever the case for you, man, just get alone with the Lord. Lay aside your, your Bible temporarily and get on your knees and talk it out with the Lord. Make him your all in all. Acknowledge that your heart is not set apart to him. That you're not blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the undivided in heart. This is the message, he goes on to say. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. He is the essence of light and life in its fullness, right? We see it, uh, Acts chapter 9, um, uh, Paul's knocked off his horse and he said that, uh, that the glory of Jesus was brighter than the noonday sun. Right? We see it in the Mount of Transfiguration. We see it at the grave. We see it at the tomb, I mean. So like, God is, and, and his presence, his glory is everything, every attribute that he is. Love, joy, peace. To its full expression is, is but life is the true connection to this light. Verse 6, if we say we have, don't miss this guys, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, it is a farce. We lie and do not practice the truth. Look, we can't, we can't, listen, God doesn't wander out of light. That is his constant, like he is light, right? We're the one that's prone to wander and we tend to wander into darkness. And if we say, oh, I'm having, I mean, me and God, we're tight. We are tight, but you're walking in darkness. That's a lie. And that's a lie that needs to be acknowledged. And that's exactly what walking in the light does for us. When we walk into the light, all of a sudden, all the things that were okay over here, all the things that were justifiable and rationalized, all the things that didn't seem so bad, all of a sudden we get in under God's word, we get in prayer, we get in his presence, we get, all of a sudden he lights it up, right? And what are we to do with that? Do we run back to our darkness like they did in the garden, right? Remember this? You know, the moment God comes walking through the garden, what do they do? They hid. Why? Because they were shamed. They, they, they knew their guilt. Do you know what, you know what guiltiness has a, a reference of? Guilt. 
Do you know what Jesus did with your guilt? He nailed it to a tree and said it's finished. Like, here's the, here's the thing. We still have a tendency in our human nature that when, when, when we're in the light, when God is in our presence, we want to hide, cover up, or blame somebody else. That's what they did. And it's, that's our nature. And most of us lean to one thing or the other more, more, more proficiently. And, and here's the thing. God says, don't do any of that. Why did God say, where are you? Because he didn't know where they were. He said, no, where are you? So that they would acknowledge where they were and confess it. And so here's the thing. It's the same thing that John's talking about here that happened in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3. He said, look, when, when, when I come into your presence, or more importantly, when you come into mine, I want you to, I want you to, I don't want you to, I don't want you to, there's godly sorrow for sure. That, but that leads to repentance. I want you to realize that I've paid the price for your sin. And I want you to walk into my presence with confession and repentance. Isn't it amazing? Guys, I, I mean, we get this all messed up. We get it all messed up. I, oh, you know, I, I had to, I had to get this thing with Jesus going on. And if I mess it up, I've got to, I've got to fix it. I got to work it out. I mean, let me tell you what God says. God says, walk your sin into my light. I'll, I'll reveal it to you. Tell me you tell me you agree with me about it and that you're sorry and we're done. You know why? Because Jesus, Jesus bled on a cross and paid the price and it's finished. Guys, that, that's what he wants us to do. He wants to show us our sin, not to point, yes, to point it out, but not, not to bring condemnation, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but to bring revelation and then conviction. And that conviction would lead us to confession. Word confession means, I agree with you, God, it was wrong. Bad choice, for sure. But God, you know what? I don't want my way anymore. I want yours. I'm going to turn from this to you. And you know, in that moment, the blood of Christ cleanses your sin. Not, not in part, but in whole. Total. Listen to what this says. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? Is it complete? Is it full? As far as the east is from the west, so far as I've removed your transgressions from you. You can't go east and ever go west. Do you, do you get what he's saying there? This, the east from the west is, 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 a, is a picture of eternity, is infinity. That's how far, and, and God chooses. It's not that he, he can't. He chooses to forget it because that's what love does. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. So, verse 8. If we say we have no sin... What would that be? A lie. But, but here's the worst part of that lie. We're self-deceived in it. Self-deceived. If we, if we're like, man, I, I don't have any, listen, you, if you think that you don't have any sin, walk into God's presence and he'll help you out. And that's, that's what a good daddy does. Because until we acknowledge, agree, confess and repent, we'll never be healed. The, Listen, we never get to take part in the wonder of the grace of God and the, and the work of the cross if we don't confess and repent. Listen, this is what, this is what John the Baptist said to the, to the Pharisees. He said, you brood of vipers. Hey, that's pretty tough stuff, right? Like, I mean, I mean, when you're talking about a snake, there's a connotation from Genesis 3, right? 
So he said, you brood of vipers. And he says this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. How do you keep something? You do it consistently. Keep the Sabbath, right? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Guys, that's the Christian life. You're not going to be perfect. But through confession and repentance, we, we grow up. We, we're, we're able, this is the key, we're able to stay in the light. We're able to stay in his presence. And listen, you know the only thing that makes us good? Is him. You know, somebody walked up to Jesus and said, good teacher. You know what Jesus said? Why do you call me good? Only the heavenly father is good. That's a bold statement. Right? But here's the thing, like, the only good in me is the God in me. Right? And so what we have to understand is the only way that I can reflect the light is to be in the light. The only way that I can experience the light is to walk in his presence. And the only thing that keeps me from walking in his presence is my sin. And my sin has been paid for, not in part, but in whole. So why are we not confessing our sins and walking in repentance? Pride. Because we love our darkness, as John chapter 1 says, more than we love our light. Him. God is light. So guys, like the, the key to the Christian life, I mean, that's why he says, look, this is the message we have heard. The key to the Christian life is abide in him. John 15, right? Just abide in him. Just stay at home. And he says, well, you want to know how to do that? He, he clearly tells us in John 15, 9 and 10, he, says, he tells us how to do it. Abide in me and in my word. Like obey my commandments over and over again. But it's, guys, it's not about knowing his word. That's, that's, that's important. That's first step. If you're taking notes, write down John chapter 8, verses 31, 32. Like, you got to first know it, but then what do we got to do with it? We got to reverence it. We got to live it, walk it. We got to breathe it. We got to obey it. We got to rely in it. We got to put our faith and trust in it because there's something synonymous about God and his word. God, God is faithful to his word. It's, it's a powerful thing. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're so self-deceived. The other place that we deceive ourselves is when we know the word but don't do it, right? James chapter 1, verse 22. It says if, if you're merely a hearer of the word and not a, and not, and not a doer, then you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. So it says you deceive yourself and the truth is not in us. I love that he always speaks in terms of us, us. It's us. And then he says, verse 9, because he puts himself in the mix, right? Me too. <laughs> Here's John, the one that Jesus loved. This is, the, this is now the father of the church, right? He's going to call everybody else his little ones. Like, and he is saying in this moment, he is saying, me too, if we confess, right? Don't you love that? Man, let's not ever have this pious posture like, man, you need to, if you would, to our spouse, to our if, if we confess our sins, right? If we confess our sins, he is who? Who is he? Our glorious God, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and still just, right? Romans 5 says that God, is, listen, God did not just say, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to let some of you, I'm going to lower the bar, let some of you in. I'm going to, I'm going to overlook these sins, but not, you know, God did not, his righteous standards were perfection. Perfection. And Jesus came and died for the whole, for the whole deal, for every sin humanity will, did, 
held in forbearance. Remember Romans says? Like every sin ever committed, Jesus dies, dies for and ushers in the grace and mercy of God. That's an awesome thing. So God is both just because he didn't lower his just standard. He's still just. But you know what he did with the, the, pen, the penalty that was yours? The debt, wages of sin is death. You know what he did with that debt? He poured it out on his own son, on himself in a more significant way. And he liberated you. He set you free. And this is, this is not just for, as, as 1 John 2, 2 says, this was not done just for you and me and the church. It was done for the whole world. But unfortunately, the whole world hasn't embraced and received and believed and repented and confessed and experienced the light of God, His presence. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, isn't it funny that it says if? <laughs> if? If we confess our sins, this is, this is his posture. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of the work of the cross, because of the faithfulness of Christ. Verse 10, and if we say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Uh, and this is why. And his word is not in us. Look, if we say, oh, that's not sin. And we say it all the time. Like I, we, we, Our culture is, is slowly but surely taking everything off the sin list and putting everything in the tolerant list. Everything's being moved out of, no, that's not sin, really. That's just their disposition. That's just their sin, you know, that's just their birth, you know, condition. Listen, let me clarify something, please, that God clarified for me. Is that we're all born sinful. We're all born broken. We're all born in total rebellion against God, right? It, it expresses itself differently. Some people express it. And they, they abuse. Some of their paradigms contribute. And they're hurtful and painful. Some, some, some express itself in homosexuality, same-sex attraction, in murder, in stealing, in thievery, whatever. But it's all an expression of, of our nature manifesting itself in a rebellion against a good, glorious, righteous God. And it's sin. It's sin. If God says it's wrong, it's sin. And, but here's the goodness of our God. Here's the good news. God made a way where there wasn't a way. God sent his son to die in your place. You don't have to be stuck in your sinful condition which you were born into. But agree with God. Get in his presence and agree with God that this is wrong. And I don't want my way. I want your way. And, and you, know what, you know what compelled me into his presence? What compelled you into his presence? He loved me and I knew it. I was convinced that God loved me. Not fixed, but broken. God loved me. And that love moved me into his presence. And his presence is what healed me, is what continues to heal me, is what's going to mature and complete me. But I got to stay there. Does that make sense? I can't wander out and expect anything to change for the better. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So listen to these two verses with me. John 2, John, 1 John 2, 1 through, I'm going to read it, the context, and then we'll dive into this piece. It says this, my little children, this is a statement of endearment, 
Um, it's, it's not only affection, it's connection. I mean, he, he is expressing his love here. He's an, he's an elder, if not the last apostle in the church. And he is now talking to those that are yet matured in Christ. Those that are some deceived about their relationship with Christ and some just immature. And he says, my little children. By the way, he says this seven times over the course of the letter. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that, remember, pay attention to so that you may not sin. So that you may not sin. This is why I write this to you. This is not a purpose of, this is not the purpose of the letter, but it is a purpose of the letter. Because he says this again about other things. I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But don't stop reading. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Remember, remember, um, remember uh, when the, the gla- not the gladiators, but the, 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 the Lancelot age, you know, and, and it was, the, the king was like, you know, King Arthur, the, the gallant, you know, or, you know, like, this is, this is the righteous one. This is like, who is your advocate? Who is your lawyer? Who is your mediator? Who's the one that's on your side? Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that good news? He's for you. Like, he is your advocate. He is your mediator. His blood stands in your defense. Hello? Like, it, it completely defends your guilty verdict. Do you see that? Like Jesus' blood perpetually declares you righteous and holy. He stands in your defense. He makes, you know, in First Timothy it says that he pleads on your behalf. You have an advocate in the throne room with the Father and the good news is it's his son. And he's, he's on your side. Like, I just saw, this is amazing. Chapter, verse two, he is the propitiation, we're gonna talk about that in a minute, of, for our sins. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For the sins, the sins of the whole world, right? Verse three, and by this we know that we have come to know him. By this we have come to know him. What is the this? This is so critical that we get this. By this, we know, that word, Jim would remind you, that word in the Greek is oida, and that means that you know, that you know, that you know, like you're confidently sure. Faith. By this, we know that we have come to know him. What, what is it? What is the this? If we keep his commandments. It doesn't say if we know them. Jesus told the people like, listen, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Who is he talking about? The Pharisees, the whitewashed tombs, the blind guides, the hypocrites. That's that's what he's talking about here. You know what really marks us as those that are building their house upon the rock? Matthew 7, 24. You know what marks us? It's not that we just hear the word, that we come and we sit and we listen. Good, great. But what are we doing with it? Is it is it taking substance in our, like that's how we know that we've come to know him if we practice his word. If we put his word into action. Faith without deeds is because real faith, genuine faith works. 
It works, and it works. Like, I mean, like, that's what, it, that's what it does. Like, genuine faith will manifest itself in good deeds. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God purposed in advance. Like, this was his, this was his hope, that, that your salvation, you are saved to serve. Like, <laughs> get used to it. That's, and that's our joy. That's our privilege to give the way Jesus gave, lavishly, generously. So by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The word keep here is obey, is rely, is depend, lean on, trust in, keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. Okay, verse four, whoever says, I know him, right? We're saying that, that obedience is the mark of genuine fellowship or relationship with Jesus. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a what? Guys, that's challenging, right? Like, because, I mean, do you fully keep the commandments? No, no, we fall short, right? But, but do we wander into his presence, aware of his grace, confident of his love, and do we confess our sin because we love him more than we love what we're doing or who we're doing it with? Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He is not advocating that you take your eye and hand off. He is saying that it's going to be painful. He is saying that. But he's saying that there are things that are very, very intricate and necessary in life to you. And they are leading you astray outside of the presence of God, outside of the wonder of his presence. Then you need to go to... A good example, we see it in the movie Fireproof. You know, Cameron walks outside and begins to smash his, his, uh, his, his monitor and his computer. Why? Because pornography had had a grip on his life. And he chose to say, I love you, God, and my wife more than this. And he, and, and he, and he gouged it out. He cut it off. And we have to go to extreme measures. in order. I mean, we walk in the light, and all of a sudden, the things that are exposed in our life, guys, don't be casual about those things. Like when you walk into the light and maybe you're even sitting here right now and the Spirit of God is just saying, look, you know we've been talking about this for a while. That is not, that is, that is a loving God looking to heal you. <laughs> right? And my, and my conviction is this. Look, we're going to be addicted to something, people. We're going to be addicted to something or someone. If, if it's Jesus, you're going to grow in holiness and righteousness. If it's anything else, it's going to destroy you. It's an idol. And, and whatever, identify that. God is in the pursuit of your heart. He's in the pursuit of you. And he, he sees these things as being like he hates them. He's a jealous God in the most righteous way. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, remember, keep, obey, rely, depend, trust in. Whoever obeys his word, whoever keeps his word, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. There's the fruit. We talked about this several weeks back. But there's the fruit of, of, of remaining in God's presence, and, and obeying his word is how we do that. Obeying his word is that we are perfected in love. We're perfected in love. Like, and, and what that means is, is that we're not only, we're perfected 
we're, we're, we're perfected in love with him and with the world. Like we, we, we begin to share his heart. We're perfected in, in understanding his heart and perspective. And now we, 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 we want what he wants. We desire, God will give us the desires of our heart if we delight ourselves in him. But he who keeps this word, in him, I'm, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, catch this, guys. Like this is the, this is, this is the criteria. This is, this is the standard. Whoever says they abide in him ought to walk or live in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. You're not going to get that done without the Holy Spirit. Like that's not natural, that's supernatural. So as we get close to kind of getting ready for communion, I I want you to hear what this is saying to us. The big idea here is to know him involves a personal relationship that transforms practical behavior. That's the big idea, okay? To know him involves a personal relationship that transforms practical behavior. And as we prepare our hearts or, or, or as we look at these two verses, I want you to just think about like we're invited to come for the sole purpose of remembering the sacrifice that opened the doorway for us to abide in the light so that our lives would be transformed into his very image. Like Jesus, the cross opened the door. The cross made God available to us. Like, it shone light into our darkness and life into our death. And uh, so listen to what it says. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. Look, he's saying, he's not saying that anybody can be sinless. And, and this, I mean, it's a finished work that only God can do. And no one gets out of this, this life perfect yet. But he will perfect us when we see him face to face. But, 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 his hope in writing this to us, uh, the Holy Spirit's desire is that we won't sin, that we won't choose sin, that we, that we would want him more than we would want it, that, that we would desire. This is, this is a purpose in the letter. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone, and that funny, that word if, if you look at it in the Greek, it's kind of like if, when, you know, like, like if you sin, like it's, what, it, what it's not doing is giving you permission. Like it, it's in that connotation. Because a, a lot of us, like if it says, if you sin, you know, but if it said when you sin, we'd be like, oh, well, you know, it's, it, it, it kind of gives us this wonderful tension that we should never want to sin, but when you do. We should never, we should never share, you know, anything but God's a, a hatred towards sin, but when you do. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. One who will intercede for us is what that's saying with the Father. Jesus, the righteous judge or Jesus, the righteous one or the righteous, depending on your translation. John did not want his readers to take the inevitability of sin as an excuse to sin. He was saying, if you sin, but our objective is to never. Because, you know, what is what is sin, guys? Sin is 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 rejecting God. Sin is, is saying, my way is better than your way. Sin is spitting on the cross. I mean, you might say, oh, Pastor Colin, that's dramatic. No, it's not. 
that the cross came to save us from our sin. And we, 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 we don't get to determine what sin is. The Bible, in its inerrancy, declares that this is sin and that is God's, God gets to describe and define those things. It's up to him what sin is. 1 John 3, 9 through 10 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. A practice of sinning. We might fall into sin, but we don't make a practice of it. For God's seed, that word seed is talking about his word and his spirit working together, abides in him, talking about the one that's born of God. And he cannot keep on sinning because he is he has been born of God. You know what John is trying to do through all of this text? He's trying to show you whether you are really a child of God. Whether you, if, you, if you're just perpetually walking in sin with no conviction, no desire to, to walk in the light, and when you walk in the light, there's no conviction about your sin. Man, I, I would encourage you to talk that through with God and, and wander into his presence and see him reveal himself. Like, you know what all God wants from us is for us to believe he is who he is and to respond accordingly. He's God. He's Lord. Obedience is the only response to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So it says this, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has, he has been born of God. So we might sin, but we're not going to practice it. We're not going to continue to walk in it because the Holy Spirit will not have it. There will either be conviction, and if we, if we, if we, if we quench the Spirit and continue to walk in our sin, then we get callous, and then eventually God will turn us over to our sin, and then he'll discipline us because that's what love does, and to his kids. Um, you know, like, God's going to turn us from those things, but if, if we're not in him, man, we're just going to continue to walk the path of wrath. And we see that, Romans 1. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. There's no distinction. It's not like, you're kind of. You know, it's like, you're, you're this or that. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not, do you see this? Does not love his brother. Jesus said, my command is this. This is John 15, but this is not the only place he says this. Throughout the final discourse in, in the latter part of, of the Gospel of John, Jesus says over and over again this. My command is this, what? Love one another. And then Jesus is saying, don't just know my commands, do them. Love one another. If you're not here, folks, if you're not, and he's talking especially to the household of faith. Like, that's where our love gets demonstrated primarily. Like, but guys, if you're not here, how can you love one another? If you're not, if you're not, and I know I'm talking to the choir here because you're here, you know, but <laughs> I'm just saying like, like it's about, we've got to, we got to, we got to make sure that we value, treasure, and, and abide in the community. Do you think that Jesus and his bride have, are, are distinctive or is from God's perspective and what he's up to is making them one? And so when we're with the bride, and, and this is where God wants us to experience rich fellowship with him first and then with one another, do you think that that's a part of, of walking in the light? I'm just going to tell you it is. <laughs> Absolutely is. Because let me make the point then. Here's the point. You ever notice that when you're at odds with God on something, and you're out of fellowship with him because you're abiding in sin, that you just don't want to be around the church or, the, or other Christians either. And it's true. And, uh, and, and it's because we're doing what they did in the garden. We're hiding. 
We think we're covering it up, and we're not. And so my time is gone, and I'm not even close. But uh, I want to say this. Um, verse 2 is what I want us to cling to here. And it says this. I will find it. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So here's what I want you to, to, to not forget. The word propitiation. What's interesting, it's the same in Greek as it is in English. It has the exact same definition. So listen to what it means. And keep in mind, he is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Propitiation, this is what it means. A sacrifice that bears God's wrath, that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. So let me read it this way. He is the sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor for our sins. That's what Jesus did for you. And no greater love than this than a man lay down his life as friends. And he didn't do that for you when you were in a posture of, oh, please, but get away because he loved you enough to pursue you in that. And he knew that it was him and him only that could get you back. So as we go to, as the worship team comes and, and, uh, and we sing these songs in preparation for communion this morning, guys, I, um, I would ask you to, to really meditate on what God has spoken to you this morning. You know, like the wonder of God's love demonstrated in the sacrificial work of Christ that was intentionally meant to demonstrate his love for you. Like, and then the implications. Just think through the implications that because he died in your place, the righteous one for the unrighteous, because he died in your place, now you have his position with his father. You are now a child, the son and daughter of God. He took your position and your, pay, your, your punishment and gave you his position, his resume, and his relationship with his father. How does that touch your heart today? And hopefully that moves you to worship here now and moves you to prepare your heart for communion, to, to do whatever it takes in this moment. Turn your seat into an altar. Come up here and climb on one of these or, or just get in front of God, whatever that means for you, and just walk into the light. And if, and if I want to be super practical about that, what that means is whatever he's telling you in his word, do it now, at least in, in your intention. If he's asked you to do something and you know it, if he's asked you to walk away from something, to trust him to walk out of an addiction because if we're addicted to him, we won't be addicted to anything else. Like Whatever it is, man, walk into his presence and then come and remember what he's done for you. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.